0: It's time
1: to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take
2: Command podcast from Odyssey Sports on, well, wherever you're listening right now, unless you're watching. And then thanks for checking us out on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page. That is available to subscribe to right now. Not only our podcast, but our entire network. Great sports content of all kinds. Gambling tips, uh, insight on other teams. Logan. Little bit of everything from the twenty four hundred sports network.
1: All right, yeah, that's always good. Be a man of many hats, or a station of many hats, is always good.
2: Yeah, that's why it's the whole thing. Your network, you got. We have many men and women who are very, very smart, uh, and they talk <laughs> and the microphones and give you knowledge. Uh, so make sure you subscribe youtube dot com slash at odyssey sports, and then if you find a podcast you like, you can subscribe anywhere to the audio version in your favorite podcast app. Today, on this Wednesday pod, normally we look back at the game that was deep dive into the tape. Well, the last game the Commanders played, we already did that. Uh, That was a week ago because they had a bye this week. So what we will do is look at the Giants-Eagles game from the weekend. Logan's got some thoughts on that to dive into. Then kind of take a look at the bigger playoff picture in the NFC as the Commanders sit in sixth right now. And then we will look ahead to the Giants in a lot more depth review this weekend's game because our final podcast of the week will be uh what we hope to be our first ever live show uh we're still hammering out the final details but make sure you're subscribed uh to the odyssey sports youtube page as it will likely be broadcasting live there and uh, also just kind of keep an eye on my twitter page logan's instagram page for the uh link to be able to actually get into the session with us and ask questions so a lot of setup there, a lot of housekeeping, Logan. Let's dive into some football. Uh, Eagles-Giants. The Eagles absolutely thrashed the Giants on Sunday. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this game is it gets the Giants completely out of their flow. They would like to be able to keep things close, be a run-heavy team, not put too much on Daniel Jones. And because the Eagles just run up the score, that is not possible. The problem for the Commanders is they also like to play the same kind of style as the Giants. They are not a run-up-the-score team. But is there any temptation in seeing how ineffective New York was to try and perhaps be a bit more aggressive on Sunday and break through that threshold of the tie that they got last week?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, everyone sees the score and they say, oh, well, the Eagles kind of thrashed. And they obviously did thrash the Giants. And it got, like you said, all those things about the game and the game flow were entirely true. I think the thing that really stuck out to me when I watched it is it wasn't like it was easy, especially in the first probably quarter and a half for Philly. And so what I mean by that is they come out, I think there's like a 15 play, 14 play drive to start the game. And it was tough. It was, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust. Jalen Hurts, to his credit, made a ton of plays versus Wink Martindale's kind of all out pressure. Wink Martindale's kind of blitz of choice this week was a cross dog, which is basically when you take those two middle linebackers or a safety and a linebacker, You cross them, kind of messes with protection rules. It makes a lot of sense because Philly likes to be a little bit man heavy in their scheme um, and pull Kelsey and kind of it was a nice way to get them in a little bit of a bind. Philly did a nice job handling it, but they still had free runners to the quarterback and Hertz made some throws under duress that on third down, third down conversions, third down scrambles, that type of thing. And that's pretty much how their first two drives went. They get to a fourth and seven. Uh, I want to say it's on like the 40 yard line going in the score against the Giants. And that to me was like the tipping point in the game. It's like this six play sequence in the game where it's like it tips. So, you know, Wink Martindale, they can't get off the field, but it, it's hard. It's taking them a long time. They're giving their offense at least an opportunity to kind of stay in the game. It's fourth down. They go for a fourth and seven. And um, it's at the, and
2: the plus 41.
1: Plus 41. Jalen Hurts, there is pressure in his face, kind of puts up a prayer. The New York Giants safety love. I don't know what he's doing totally totally misjudges the ball ends up being a touchdown for Philly okay 14-0 not out of it's it's getting out of hand but not out of hand yet the Giants go three and out the putter then drops the ball like he, he, I'm sure everyone saw that this weekend he he catches the ball it slips out of his hand he it hits off the ground then he kicks it it's a 10 yard penalty and a loss of down so they're back kind of in that 40 yards maybe even closer 30 yard range. Next play is a touchdown to A.J. Brown, and it's uh, 21 to 0. Right. So, obviously, very dynamic paradigm shift. But in terms of what the defense for, for the New York Giants did to Philly, it wasn't like it was a blowout from the jump. I think Philly's defense deserves a ton of credit. And I think it's really interesting to look at this game plan that the Giants tried out because it was essentially identical to what Washington, like, you know, against, um, Against the Commanders two weeks ago, the Giants were like, oh, we're going to run a lot of boots. We're going to run a lot of keepers. We're going to run a lot of attacking the edges of the defense. A lot of counter. This week, they come out, and they're just duo all the way. they basically, like, screenshotted the Commander's game plan against Philly and said, we're going to run execute that again. Had a hard time doing it. They got into some longer third-down situations. And obviously, the Philadelphia pass rush just ate up the – the New York Giants offensive line and I think like if I if there's something to take from it it just reiterates kind of the analysis that I had before going into the uh, Commanders Giants game one is that this team is not built to pass protect in any meaningful capacity so if you can win first and second down get them into long down and sit down and distant situations which again that was a challenging thing for them in the first game but if you can do that they just cannot hold up versus any of the rushers that we have, right? Evan Neal, I think, is has the potential to be a good player. I like him coming out of Alabama. He is having a very hard time in pass protection right now. Um, you know, obviously Andrews is playing really, really well, but gives up a, a sack to Josh Sweat. So you know, they, they're just not built to do it. They don't have the skill position players. I will say Philly played a lot of man defensively, which I thought was interesting. And it's if Benjamin St. Juice comes back, I would expect Jack to embrace that with two hands because they just don't have enough skill position players to make you scared. It allows you to put more resources in the box to stop the quarterback. So if there's something to take away, it's it's the man element, and it's being excellent on first and second down, because it really puts them in a bad spot.
2: So the, the kind of thought process that I had started that question with, and it's interesting to hear um, kind of what you saw, though, starts with a simple stat, and that is nine carries for Saquon Barkley. He only had yeah. nine carries on the entire day. And if he's not going to get the ball a ton, they're not going to win. And and it's not like he had a, oh, well, he had nine carries, but he also had 10 receptions. No, he had two receptions on two targets. Like, he was not involved in the game. And they do not have enough other skill position guys to be able to overcome that. You know, Richie James is their leader on the day in, in most of the statistical categories, catches, yards, all that kind of stuff. And, like, James is a nice little player, but, like, he's not beating you. Saquon is. And and that's where, you know, it's, it's such an interesting thing too, right? Because it's not like you come out not trying to score. It's just how aggressive you are in trying to get those points. Are you aggressive in going after some bigger plays earlier in the game to try and really put the pressure on New York? And to be frank, like I would, I would be able, I'd be willing to give a little leash on my, my time of possession that the commanders are so dominant in in favor of being a bit more aggressive also because they don't scare me offensively. Okay. It doesn't work. Okay. Let's just go back to the gameplay. If we go yeah. a couple three and outs, I I think I would be okay with that for Scott, but I, if I am Scott, I am trying to hit and they've done a good job of this early in some games, finding Terry on some of that deeper stuff, finding Jahan on some of the deeper stuff, getting those chunk plays that raises your average of scoring a touchdown from 5% to 55% and trying to get a couple on the board early, relying on the fact that your defense, especially if they are facing a heavier pass, Giants offense is going to have a really good day. And, and, you know, if that's the case, if you can get out 14, nothing in the first half, um, you know, obviously your chances of winning skyrocket because you're up 14, uh, nothing. But also, especially against this team, like that's a, that's a tough day for New York.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting. You mentioned Saquon. I, I think Saquon's hitting a little bit of a lull, actually, you know, he's having like some type of neck issue. Um, he's not quite right. And I think that shows up. So to me, it's not, Saquon Bartley, it's, it's it's Daniel Jones. Like he is their offense, Mm. him running the football, what he does in the short intermediate passing game off the boots, off the zone read off the RPO stuff. Excuse me. So I think like, if you can manage, if you can, if you, he is the piece that you have to manage. Right. And it's not like he's this overly dynamic piece. Like I think he's a good football player, but he's limited, right? He's limited by a lack of skill position players. He's limited by a lack of run game. He's limited by a lack of pass protection. So, you know, obviously in the first matchup, he's the thing that hurts the Commanders' defense. So what is your plan for him? Really? Like that's what it boils down to in my opinion after watching Philly, after watching our game, what is the plan to keep him contained? And it's interesting that they kind of got away from the Giants I'm talking about some of this boot action stuff which murdered the Commanders, which was very effective against Dallas. They didn't do it as much against Philly. Not really sure why, maybe they kind of outsmarted themselves, they kind of tricked themselves. But I think when you see about how effective that was versus the commanders, the first game, you say you got to go back to that because it puts Daniel Jones in a space where he can hurt you with his legs. He can hurt you with his arms. But my, if I'm if I'm talking to Jack Del Rio, my first thought is, you know, that they're going to try and do this. What is the plan to mitigate that? Because they can't run the football very well right now. Again, Saquon, offensive line health, all those different things, chicken or the egg what is the plan to contain Daniel Jones? And I think if you can have a definitive answer there and a very consistent plan, I just don't see how offensively they can win this game. Obviously, defensively, we can talk about that in a second, but offensively, it doesn't seem like they're capable of of scoring a significant amount of points to win the game. Uh,
2: Truth be told to the audience uh, is, we are recording this at 1, it's currently 1.29 PM and Ron Rivera is supposed to speak at 1.30. So I've opened up the old uh, tweet deck. And we'll be keeping an eye on quotes from uh, Rivera's press conference, uh, so we might have an answer here in the next few minutes on the latest on Benjamin St. Juice. But let's let's either way, he's back. He's not back. Like, what is that plan? Obviously, if he's back, you feel better playing some of that man-to-man. Yeah. Um, maybe that allows you to free up Jamin Davis to spy a little bit because you're not playing, you know, your basic zone structures. Like, what what are the the things that you're trying to do to limit? Jones, because you know what I say, you know, I'm not trying to just equip my point here, but like if, if you can make them one dimensional, right. Because it's really about the carries more than it is the, the production, um, the production for Saquon, like if they can stay as a run base, let's say it's Gainwell or, or whatever his name yeah, is, the, is yeah. uh, or Sir Brightwell, um, the backup Brita, you know, or Jones running like Jones only has four carries the other day in that game, like they need to be a balanced and probably run heavy offense to be successful. Because if Daniel Jones is stuck, drop back passing, he's not good enough at it. When he gets to do all this Daniel Jones stuff, running the football, whether it's zone read or, or design quarterback run, we uh, gets out on, on boot, like that's when he's super dangerous and can hurt you. So what is the plan if you're Jack Del Rio? to contain him better than you did in the previous the previous outing
1: yeah I mean I think Benjamin St. Juice coming back if he does come back is huge it is it is the game in my opinion because it allows you to do a lot of stuff it allows you to say hey Benjamin St. Juice match up with Slayton who is their number one deep threat and I feel very 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 confident about that matchup I think Kendall Fuller matches up really nice with Hodgins who was on a practice squad five weeks ago right so there. are in terms of how you match up with this team right cam curl on bellinger who's probably their most consistent offensive player the rookie tight end at san diego state like they're they just don't have the horses so if i'm him i'm saying on first and second down i'm playing a cinco front i don't care try to beat us throwing the football go for it playing a single front playing man-to-man coverage and you they can't i don't see if a, a way where that happens. Obviously, you can't play man-to-man coverage all the time, but you definitely have to stop the run. And so, you know, how do you stop the counter? They had a time, hard time stop, stopping counter last week, and how do you stop the boot? Are the two things I would put as top of my list? And then what is they – and then as soon – if I'm Jack, as soon as they come out and run their first drive, they're going to tell you what their plan is. Like against Philadelphia, it was to run a lot of duo, right? Against us, it was to run a lot of boot. Once that happens, then, then I'm going to go to the whiteboard at, right when the defense comes off the field. It's like, this is what they're trying to do. This is what we're gonna to do to stop it. That and then I just don't know, man. If you can play man coverage with these guys, which they can if St. Juice is healthy, there's not a lot that they have that scares you offensively. And then when you can allocate more stuff to the box, you can get the safeties down in there. Daniel Jones is gonna be a less effective runner because you've just allocated more resources to stopping that. So to me, like that's that's what it comes down to. Obviously, it's not man every single play, they're gonna run a lot of cover three match, that's what they do really well. But th- that's the game, in my opinion. It's not overly sexy or complicated. They're not running the football well. They don't have great offensive skill position players. They can't score a lot of points. So offensively, like defensively, that's pretty straightforward. I think the interesting story then becomes is what do you do knowing that as a commander's offense, right? That to me is the thing that is more compelling. Because do you say, hey, we can air it out. They don't have a lot of good cover guys. You know, their pass rush system not hitting home. They can't stop the run very well. Do we invite some variance to the game? And by inviting variants, like we give ourselves an opportunity to kind of hit on some more chunk plays, but we also invite wing Martindale to bring the variance of the pressuring of the blitzing of the force fumbles in. And when their offense is playing so poorly, it's kind of like, why do we want to invite any kind of opportunity for wink to kind of shake things up? Would be my question.
2: Yeah. Do we want to get into that now? Cause originally we we're going to save that for the end of the podcast, but here we, Which one? here we are, uh, talk about the offensive side of it and, and inviting that variance.
1: I mean, yeah. We're kind of here. We're here. We're here. Uh, We're here.
2: Executive decision.
1: Boom. Here we go.
2: Take man podcast from odyssey sports. Thanks for listening or watching wherever you are watching or listening right now. Make sure you subscribe in that place. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the odyssey app, or if you're watching us on YouTube and Logan, uh, that, that word variance, uh, what we're really talking about is the amount of variance we want to invite, not just into the game, but in with Taylor Heineke, um, the yeah. turnover worthy plays are, are something that's been a hot topic of discussion. Uh, he seems to get away with murder on that every single week. Um, you were also talking about, though, his ability on the upside to potentially make a little bit more happen. Mm. And possibly, as we talked about uh, on la- one of last week's podcasts, you know, does he run a little bit more this week now that Carson Wentz is available as the backup? Is he freed up a little bit? So there's a lot of factors here, but ultimately, like, what, how much risk are you willing to tolerate? Uh, just like we were saying to to wrap up the, the last segment, like, how much risk are you actually willing to tolerate with Heineke? Considering this is not the formula that that got the Commanders to this point. They are not playing on Sunday night football with a playoff spot, mathematically speaking, basically on the line. If they win, it's like 90% and they're in. Um, If you're getting here by running the football, ball control, whatever, do you even want to think about going against that pattern? Nevertheless, some of the specifics.
1: Yeah, so there's a a lot to unpack there, Craig. So let's start, I guess... Let's start with Taylor Heineke and then we'll kind of go to game flow from the first game because I think there's some interesting points to talk about there. So with Taylor Heineke, I know like uh, one, one of the videos you posted on YouTube, one of the guys, one of the comments was like, I'm tired of talking about turnover-worthy plays. I think that's ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. Did you win or not? Like, I get that. <clears throat> I totally understand that perspective. However, the reason we bring that stuff up is because it is a level of variance right so traditionally speaking a person or a player with a lot of turnover worthy plays they might go through a stretch of time where they're not throwing an interception but that that stretch is not sustainable based on this metric of play style where they are not being very fastidious with the football so when we bring it up it's kind of like you're riding a very high you're you're, you're riding high luck right now you're at the casino you know you're rolling the dice and it's coming up the way you want it multiple multiple times that's not statistically viable forever, right? So when we bring this this this, um, this turnover-worthy play element up, that's what we're referencing. It's like how long do you sit at the table and continue to roll the dice before your, your hot streak runs out and you end up losing big and you end up losing a lot of money. And so that's kind of what we're doing with Taylor when we talk about that. So he does. He does put the football in harm's way more than you like. And I, I think the other thing that's tough is that he does miss throws that are there. I think back, I did like a little red zone breakdown, which would be on Wednesday's show of the command center. And one of the things is like Scott's done a really nice job scheming up open things in the red zone, especially the last two games. And Taylor's missed some throws, right? He's missed some opportunities. So there, there's two things here one is him putting the ball in harm's way, and then one is him missing throws of, of schemed open plays. Which in this offense are very detrimental, and you're probably going to punt the football if that happens, right? So I would say, I would say, and then now let's get to the game flow, game game flow point. If you look at the the first game against the Giants, they had they had two drives where they started backed up because of special team snafus. I think you don't get that like total turtling up that they got in those situations if they're in a more normal field position, right? If they're in like if it's they're on the 30-yard line. I think you see kind mm-hmm. of what they had been doing early in the game, which is good stuff. It's play-action pass. It's a little bit of duo. It's what we saw. And I do think as as conservative as they've been in normal game flow situations, they have been, I mean, you can disagree with me here, Craig, uh, Craig totally. They've, they've opened up a little bit, right? They they, they have situations yeah. where they run in more play pass. They're, they're not in the drop-back game as much, but they do take some shots. They do do some things. And I think in normal game flow, you'd see that.
2: They do, and they do that in part because they've actually found a play-action pass
1: that works for them. Sure. Um
2: A play-action pass, you know, on, on the actual fake part, right? They found this fake duo, um, and, and especially that long, like, counter action. I don't know if there's a better term for that. Uh, feel free to uh, like, uh, up uh, my football nomenclature. But, like, where <laughs> Taylor extends one way and then turns and extends the other, and yeah. it's like this very long, drawn-out play-action fake that really can draw the defense in and, and have the desired effect as opposed to these haphazard you know pretty useless shotgun fakes that don't actually get anything done except for you know potentially take taylor's eyes off of where they're supposed to be um so there's that um and i agree with you on that front they they have definitely tried to especially early in games get some of those chunk plays and then really drive home running the football and i I think that's still a good a good plan the question is do they keep, and, you know, as as I said uh, a little bit ago, uh, we're recording this in the middle of Rivera's press conference on Tuesday, and we now have a bunch of updates, and, you know, uh, I haven't seen one on Sam Cosme yet, uh, but if they have the more mobile linemen, the Schweitzers, the Cosme's in, do they include some of the screen game and some of the stuff that yeah. they kind of cut out of the offense? And I, I think that just allowing the offense to have a little bit more to it it's kind of really what we're talking about here at yeah. the end of the day, like it's margins. And, and we do a lot of talk about the margins on this podcast, because that is where the game is won and lost. It's also the thing that changes. It's the thing that's up for debate is, do you want to be 65, 35 run or 60, 40 run? Because they're not yeah. going to be, you know, I mean, they might be 60, 40 pass um, depending on game flow. But like, ideally they're kind of 60, 40 run. Um, that's, that's where they are. They get up and then they're able to run run out the clock with these two big bruising backs that, uh, have, have been really effective at closing out games. Um, so I I think it's in a way it's too early to tell, um, because it's going to depend on their personnel uh, to an extent too. Um, because for instance, Trey Turner is having a good week, um, in terms of the bye week helping him out and he very much could be back. And if he is going to be your starting right guard, the screen game and all that kind of stuff isn't isn't really on the table. That's not where, where he's at. Um, if it's Cosme, uh, then you're all right. Um, by the way, the other injury updates real quick. Uh, you know, we were talking about St. Juice in the last segment. It looks like he's he's on a good track. So that's good. Jamin Davis apparently had a procedure on his thumb, but he's looking like he's trending the right direction. So is Chase Young for the 18th straight week. Uh, <laughs> Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams are in concussion protocol. So, um, chances are, if you're listening to this on a podcast, you probably know that stuff by now because the the time release uh, factor of this. But just in case, there's your there's your news update. But to circle back to what we were talking about, the personnel offensively could dictate a lot of this. And whether or not Schweitzer and Cosme are your center and right guard or whether or not it's Nick Martin and Trey Turner, um, you're not necessarily screwed if it's if it's the latter. But the former gives you a lot more options and a lot of things that you can potentially do compared to the the game plan that you were almost stuck with from an offensive line standpoint uh, during that streak. When oh by the way, you did go six and one.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think that's a really good point. Obviously, injuries are going to play a big deal, and I think what you're I think I like the way you phrased the beginning part of that. It's like we're we're not advocating that they go out and become you know, the greatest show on turf in terms of throwing the football, but do you, I think, uh, you know, 10 more passes, five, seven more passes in a game is an appropriate solution against the secondary, especially if you're at a point where you can pass protect, especially on first and second down, running a little bit of play action pass there, I think would be really advantageous, making sure you're in third and manageable situations. Like how do you get there? Because if you are in third and three, I don't know, for whatever reason, Wink Martindale's pressure rate comes way, way down. So, Philly also did a really good job of that in their game against the Giants of staying in third and shorter situations so that there wasn't as much pressure. Um, but when they were in third and longer situations, they were able to overcome the pressure that Wink was bringing. So I think that's all kind of got to factor in. I don't think you you deviate too far from what you've been doing. I think you're okay with playing the long game. I think your defense, I would assume the defense is going to play much, much better in this outing. Having seen what this uh, Giants offense is about, um, you know, having a week of rest, you know, for all of this conversation about the defense, like they have some s- significant injuries, like Jamin's uh, you know, had thumb surgery during the bye week. He was, he's been hurt for a couple of weeks now. John is always kind of nursing a knee, a hip injury. So get him a little bit fresher. Uh, I think it really bodes well for the group to just come out and play lights out. And that's not even talking about Benjamin St. Juice. So I, I, I if just knowing the team, knowing the personnel, knowing my quarterback, I think you don't stray too far from what they've been doing. It might look a little different. You might hit some different runs. You might, um, you know, work some more play pass in on first and second down, which they did a great job of in the first game, specifically on the first two drives. Uh, but yeah, I think that's kind of what you're what you're looking at, and and some some framing of that in terms of trying to eliminate uh, limit Taylor's ability to bring variants to the game as much as you can, and. That's And people get mad about that, like, why are you putting handcuffs on him? I think because you've seen what he looks like when the handcuffs aren't on. Like, look at the Minnesota game. They try to give him a little bit more of the offense there, and it crumbled a little bit under him. So I think just knowing what he's good at, speaking to that skill set, limiting what the mistakes he can make, I think is going to be a huge deal.
2: Reminder in that Minnesota game, 15 of 28 for 149, two touchdowns and a pick. Here's the crazy thing about Taylor though with the variance you know and we talk about the turnover worthy plays and you know if if i'm just merely looking at what i'm about to tell you um i would be that guy on youtube saying i don't want to hear about turnover worthy plays anymore because you know how many times taylor Heineke has thrown three picks in his career in a game um i have no idea zero once once that's it and it was with carolina uh, it might I think I was pers- I was
1: versus Atlanta. I was on the team. I was on Atlanta then. I was like, there, there you go. And uh,
2: <laughs> on uh, December twenty third of twenty eighteen, yeah. uh, yeah. week week sixteen, uh, you, you guys the Falcons won 24-10. Uh, You picked you picked Heineke off three times. He did have two seventy four in the game. He threw it fifty three times, yeah. which is uh, not a formula for success. Um, but I think yeah, he also
1: broke. He like broke his wrist too, or something crazy in that game. It's oh. a tough, tough day for him.
2: Yeah, that's that sounds worse than three picks. But that is the only time he's ever thrown three picks. So for all of the times that it feels like he's thrown a hundred picks in a game because he throws the ball over the place and you're having a heart attack. And, you know, especially some of those games late last year where he was just frankly really bad as he was banged up and, and not fully healthy. Um he's he's never actually thrown three picks in a game, which is the kind of thing that a lot of great quarterbacks have done. I think Mahomes had three touchdowns, three picks like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um on three so, turnover
1: worthy place. Um Which is interesting.
2: Yeah. that's. But, like, you're right in that the averages theoretically should catch up to him eventually. And if you're going to average, you know, over time, if you're going to average four to five turnover where he plays a game, over time you should average four to five turnovers a game. Um, But he has, for whatever reason, been able to consistently dodge those bullets. Um, I also also would say, like, as a counterpoint,
1: just something to think about, Craig, is – and and we'd have to do like math and solve stuff for this. But I do think that when you, again, when you bring his number of total number of throws down, mm-hmm. right, you you give the defense less opportunity to, you know, express some of these turnover-worthy right. plays. Right? That's like the whole point, right? He threw the ball 50, whatever, 57 times in that game. I'm sure he had more turnover-worthy plays than interceptions in that game. Right. Right.
2: So if you, if you're, if you commit a turnover on 60% of your turnover worthy plays, which is not the number, that's just one I just pulled out of the air. But, um, you know, if you throw it 50 times, that's, that's going to result in a higher number of actual turnovers than 25 or 30. I understand. And that's, that's totally true as well. Um, it's just something that's, it's been interesting to watch with him is how consistently he has successfully lived on the edge. And I know it's coming. Um, I've kind of said a couple of times on the show, like, I think, I think the game San Francisco, like if he throws four picks against San Francisco, I will be 0% surprised because that's the best <laughs> defense in football. And they just, I mean, they just had Tom Brady flummox and he's yeah. Tom bleeping Brady. Yeah. So um, I know Taylor Heineke is obviously based off of their head to head comparisons, basically Tom Brady or head to head matchups, basically Tom Brady. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's gonna be interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, the other thing too, Real quick to kind of wrap up our thoughts on both sides of the ball for the Giants. You know, Martindale always has his thing in a given week. And just because mm-hmm. they played two weeks ago, doesn't mean he's going to have the same thing. Uh, yeah. And the same is true, by the way, offensively. Dable and, and that staff on the offensive side of the ball, you know, you talked about, oh, they found a wrinkle and they they did a really good job with it two weeks ago. Like, how how different do they go just two weeks later against the same exact team who, by the way, hasn't played another game since?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, again, th- those are the types of things that I really nerd out. Like when I get to watch the first half of the game with, uh, you know, those guys on the, on the in game show, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like that, that's the That's the tipping point. Right. Is the wrinkle enough to keep the Jets in it offensive or the Giants in it offensively? Is the defensive blitz package enough to kind of stymie what they're doing from uh, the Commanders doing from an offensive standpoint? Those are the things like when I turn on the game, I have butterflies in my stomach to see that, to see that execution, to see what's happening. So yeah, it'll be really curious to see if I had a. I was just trying to think if I had a game plan for this team. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if I would do things much different than what they did in the first outing. Like get. Jones on the edge, find ways to get him with the ball in his hands, elevate the run game. Like if I'm them and I know I have to win this game, I know I have to have it in the bag to make the playoffs. I might let Daniel Jones run the ball like 15 times. Like that's Mm kind of where I'm at from a schematic standpoint. They struggle with the zone read. They struggle when the quarterback moves out of the pocket, like he's your best player, like put all your eggs in that basket, let it ride. So, and then defensively, I think, um, I think you'll see a lot of a lot of this a lot of similar pressures but there will be some new wrinkles in terms of getting them uh you know finding ways to get his rushers in advantageous situations can scott keep you out of those situations is the big question i think
2: yeah well and that's the thing last time you know we did the the breakdown and if you want some actual like film with it we put that up on my youtube page youtube.com slash at craig hoffman um of the the cave on thibodeau uh or Kavon on thibodeau blitz at the end of that game uh the tie game and how martindale kind of manipulated washington's coverage rules uh, or protection rules and so can they have answers for that kind of stuff this time around can you understand conceptually or at least if you if they do something different can you figure it out faster get that communicated on the sideline come up with a solution somewhere in your bag and be like all right hey guys we got we got this if we see it again this is how we're going to handle it like those adjustments have to come faster you can't be getting the the pressure that's gotten you all day getting you a sack on the biggest play of overtime like that's what happened uh, in the last game so can you make those adjustments um faster it's hard because they're playing off your rules you're doing the things you're quote unquote supposed to do um but you got to be able to see through some of the disguises and, and all that kind of stuff and we'll see with you know the freshest tape that they have being just a couple weeks ago against the same team if they can have solutions
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things Commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman here, Logan Paulson there. To join us live on Thursday night uh, right here on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page, if that is where you are watching this episode. Uh, we are hoping to be live streaming at 7 o'clock. Also, uh, we will send out the StreamYard link, uh, which is the software, I guess, website, whatever it is, uh, that we use to record so that you guys can actually come in the studio with us, these, this virtual studio, and ask us questions in person. So we look forward to that coming up on Thursday night. Uh, all right, Logan we look broader scope, Uh, the dust has settled Cardinals lose again last night. They're really now officially out of it. Um, They also, the news just came down Kyler Murray did indeed tears ACL, which is such a bummer Um, bummer. last night on that third play of the game when he went down and ultimately was carted off against new England. So the the teams that are possible to make the playoffs now have really been narrowed down. Um, The, the um, lions are, Trying their damnedest to get back into it. Yeah. I will include them uh kind of as the floor here. But in the NFC, you know, Philly, Minnesota, San Francisco, Tampa are your division leaders right now. Dallas, Washington, New York, the three NFC East teams have the three wild card spots. You have the Seahawks at seven and six, a half game back of Washington, New York, and then a game behind them at six and seven are the Detroit Lions. If you are the commanders, like how much looking around are you doing, if anything? Uh, And kind of what's the conversation in the locker room this week leading into this game, where, by the way, if you win this, the stats say you're somewhere between 85 and 90% likely to make the playoffs. So I think it really is easy for Ron to be like, hey, guys, focus on this one.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. There's, to me, there's no looking around because you control your own destiny. The only time you look around is when you don't control your own destiny. You're like, oh, this team has to lose when they play this team, and this has to happen, and this the stars have to align, and lightning has to strike this spot three times. That's the stuff you're like looking around for, and you're like, well, can we, um, can we get in? Can we get in on some lucky stuff? But when it's when it's in your hands, when it's your thing to control, it makes it very straightforward. It's like win this game win this game, take advantage of this opportunity and you're going to be an excellent spot. So, you know, like I said, I think this is a like this is this is exactly how you write it up if you're Ron Rivera. You basically say we we took a tie when we were in the metal lands, we're coming off the bye, we have an extra week of prep, our guys are going to be healthier. Um it's in it's at FedEx Field. Like this should be I'm not an easy win because there are no easy wins, but as easy as a win as you can get. And um you know, when that's how I'd like to bet. I'd like to bet on it because you know, like I want to make the playoffs. I want this team to make the playoffs. And that's the parameter. I'd love to have a game where I'm coming off the bye. Scott Turner's excellent off the buy. Um, it's at home, not a big road trip deal. Like, let's get this thing done. Let's get this in the bag. Let's get to the playoffs.
2: Yeah. Aaron Schatz of football outsiders has it. it Washington wins. They're 86% in the playoffs, 28% with a loss. The giants are 90% with a win. 31% with Whoa. a loss. Uh, Seattle's 57% either way. Uh, they're, the, the Washington result doesn't really matter to them, I guess. Uh, and then Detroit, 20% if the Giants win, 21% if Washington wins. And obviously that, they're doing calculations based off of what they would need and then strength the schedule and, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff over the final couple of weeks of the season. But it shows you, like, 86% of the time, uh, if you or 86% chance if you win this game, uh, you're in, and if you win two out of the last three, you're basically guaranteed because you have a uh, a two-game lead essentially over New York because you've got the tiebreaker and you've got the uh, the game in hand. So this game is is kind of worth double in that way. Uh, as you then look around the rest of the NFC, is there a team that you would prefer to see in the playoffs? Team that you would like to avoid? Uh, I think everyone's going to kind of want Tampa. That's going to be basically impossible uh, to catch the Cowboys. Cowboys would have to lose out. You'd have to win out, and then I'd have to I'd have to check on what the tiebreakers even are, uh, assuming that Tampa finishes fourth. Dallas, obviously, uh, currently in the five spot. But between I guess Minnesota and San Francisco is realistically what we're talking about in that first round with the Eagles uh, all but securing the bye. Like, is there any either of those teams? I think we talked about this a little bit the other day, but either either one of those teams that
1: you would prefer to see. Is there a, even a question there, Craig? Like, I mean, holy cow, would you rather see the 49ers who just smoked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 35-7 to 7 and seem to be kind of – like, I look at that roster, and I'm just like, how did they do that? Christian McCaffrey, Brandon iU, George Kittle, obviously Debo Samuel got hurt. But some, one of the best offensive lines in the league, the best defense in the NFL at the moment. I don't know, man. I don't think I want any part of that team until, you know, maybe round two later in the playoff picture. But when uh, you I'll have admit to a- face them. Yeah, I want Minnesota, man. Their defense is struggling. They've given up 400 yards in six consecutive games or whatever it is. You know, I think Kirk is playing well. Obviously, Justin Jefferson's a heck of a – like he might break the 2,000-yard barrier for a receiver, which would be pretty spectacular for him. But I just look at this and I say, like, that is a team that is is that that is better – that is worse than their record. And to see how they played them, uh, the commanders played them in the, in the matchup here, I think, man, that is an opportunity for this team to do some stuff you know catch a catch a team that's not as hot as San Francisco and um and do some good stuff in the playoffs so i get a first round playoff win if if i had to pick a team that would be it so
2: you're right is the first thing. <laughs> if you're going to make the case for Sam, for for Minnesota it would be i feel like the minnesota is a tougher place to play that dome gets nuts um it's a very cool stadium yeah. they've got the viking ship the whole thing san francisco is a really solid i feel like i mean you 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 played in Levi stadium it's not it's not candlestick it's not it's no, not the old place it's much
1: more corporate like they yeah. have a lot of uh like so basically the construction of the stadium is such that like you have a lot of sky boxes yeah and so they're all enclosed like it's 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 more like a you know silicon valley wine and cheese like there for business meetings type crowd and it's a very expensive stadium to get seats so you kind of lose some of that you know, raucous tailgating fan in there. Right. So
2: you lose, you lose a little playoff atmosphere. So that would be, that would be part, actually that's part two. Part one is, is Brock Purdy. And yeah. what Brock Purdy did last week was phenomenal. That kid has no fear, but eventually, you know, five weeks from now, like, is he still going to be able to play like that? Or is is the NFL going to get some tape on him and go, all right, he's Mr. Irrelevant. That dude's not beating us in a playoff game. Like, Jack, if you're Jack Del Rio, are you licking your chops going, all right, I'd rather face that guy than Kirk Cousins. And not that Kirk scares the daylights out of you, but he's still Kirk Cousins compared to Brock Purdy, seventh-round pick. And I realize I'm saying that right now, and this, you know, Brock Purdy turns out to be awesome. This clip will live on in infamy. Um, But uh, that would be, the, I guess, the only thing is, like, you are facing Mr. Irrelevant from the most recent draft. You are facing the guy that went two rounds after Sam Howell. Um, And so that would be my only thing. But to circle back to where I started and where you ended, you're right because that Niners defense is disgusting. And I want no part of them if I'm Taylor Heineke uh, coming up in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and uh, to your question about Brock Purdy, I think Kyle has shown a proclivity. And obviously it's two games in, so we'll see how this progresses, like you said. But uh, Kyle Shanahan has shown a proclivity for taking quarterbacks who do what he wants them to do. You know Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, guys that I played with who are good football players, but by no means elite players, and is able to cultivate an offense structure around them that supports them in their in their skill set, and then if they're supported by excellent defensive play, I, I, I think Brock Purdy might come back down to earth a little bit. He will. I mean, he basically had like a perfect game the other day, but he Scott uh, Scott no Kyle can make that work. And the other thing that you're going to run into is that Jimmy Garoppolo might be back the playoff push in a couple of weeks right so i think that's another element that needs to be considered is that that team you know they could be getting healthy at the right time and you don't want any part of that uh, i do think that trip is also terrible going to san francisco is tough like i'd much yeah. prefer from a travel standpoint to go to minnesota but you're right that minnesota stadium is awesome great energy great in- environment it, it would be very bump in there for sure did you uh, guys play there yeah i played there um it's, it's oh, I guess cool. you
2: definitely would have because you were in Chicago when that Chicago, place was open.
1: Chicago, yep. When I played yeah, I played there, it was like the year after it opened. So it, it was pretty cool, though. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's um, – I still think Minnesota's the team just because I think that they're they're not playing as well right now. Like right now, I think if you were you could make a legitimate argument that um, San Francisco's the second-best team in the NFL at the moment, even with Brock Purdy at the helm.
2: Well, that was actually the next thing I was gonna ask you. Like if you go power rankings, Anthony and I did this uh yesterday. Well, as we're recording this yesterday, Monday on the Hoffman Show. People want to check it out. Go back to the Hoffman Show podcast, hour one from Monday. And um we did our power rankings, top five teams in the NFL. Uh w what, what would your top five in the NFL be right now?
1: Yeah. So I think I would probably go in do you want an order like one through five?
2: Uh yeah. That's how we okay. do it.
1: In terms of teams, I, I wouldn't want any part of it. it. would probably be Kansas City, I would say, is is probably my number one. Philly, Buffalo. Um, Buffalo or the 49ers, three or four, it doesn't matter. But I'll put the 49ers four because of the Brock Purdy thing. And then for a fifth team, I don't even know who I'd put in there. Um, Dallas, maybe? Like, I say that- I had
2: Dallas, Anthony's fifth team was Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, I'd go Cincinnati over Dallas as of right now. Like, we'll see how that shakes out over the last couple of weeks. But that's very close for me. Cincinnati, I I think quarterback's better. So.
2: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I I know he went. I'll tell you exactly what I told him. I hear you on Cincinnati. I don't agree, but I have no qualms. Yeah. Um, It is. they're, They're kind of close. And actually today on the show. So folks will, if you want to hear this, will already happen by the time the podcast comes out. Ah, uh, you can check out either on the Rewind at, at, or Rewind on the Odyssey app or the Hoffman Show podcast. Uh, for this, we're gonna do like tiers of teams today, so that's gonna be kind oh, of fun. Nice. To yeah. Place where where Washington is in terms of tiers, but like Dallas and Cincinnati are kind of in that same tier. Yeah. Um, but I, to me, I had Philly one. I, I actually think that they're the team I want. They they're just so confident in what they do right now. Yeah, There's they're identity. very good. But Kansas City was my two. Buffalo was my three. Uh, I think I actually had. Dallas, who am I missing? Uh Dallas and San Francisco. Uh I think I had Dallas four, uh, even ahead of San Francisco. rock really. the Brock Purdy thing. Because the thing is with Dallas, um, and we haven't really talked about them much, but like, God, if you have to beat them at the end of the season, uh, and they don't it's a game that doesn't matter for them, that could be super interesting. Commanders have been in that situation before. It did not go well. Uh against a New York yeah. team a couple of years ago. Um, I know because I was there. Um, but for Dallas, they've got an offense that's capable of massive production. Um, obviously we think about what they did to the Colts the other the other week. The Colts are not great, but 33 nothing against an NFL team in a single quarter is preposterous. Yeah. Um, aided by turnovers, obviously, and and some some non-offensive points, but still, that's that's nuts. Um and then defensively, like their pass rush scares the daylights out of you. Like Micah Parsons. Is is there a player in the league who more concretely can ruin a game
1: by himself that is not a quarterback? Yeah, uh, maybe like ruin, like
2: ruin ruin a game for for the opposing opposing teams.
1: Like Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett, that type, that caliber. Maybe, yeah. but maybe one of the Bosa brothers. Uh, Nick, I think, I think
2: Parsons is more capable than all of them. Like Donald, yeah, but Donald's I think the exception.
1: Yeah, I think statistically, right now, like this season, Miles Garrett and Parsons are basically the same. You know, but I think. I have to go look it up. But I think Parsons has less rushes than Miles Garrett. So, again, kind of speaking to your point, Nick Bosa, I think, is, again, in the same type of tier. But yeah, I agree. I think Parsons is a very special player from a pass rush standpoint. And the um, thing is with him, yeah. though, they
2: move him around so much. Like they, they can do, find, yeah. they will find the way, Dan Quinn will, to make him your knight. Do and it. so I think that's why I have them where they are, uh, in my little power rankings that mean absolutely nothing. And we'll find out uh, how how accurate they were when it comes to playoff time. But like, I don't want a, any piece of Dallas if I'm one of the, the other teams in the league, um, because what they can do to you defensively, uh, and the potency they have offensively. And at this point, they're pretty experienced too. Like this is a team that's been in the playoffs multiple years, like Dak's got a couple of playoff starts under his belt. Um, and they just got to go out and actually do it. Uh, and we'll see if they're, they're capable of doing that and and you know ken mccarthy be a little more innovative than he's been in some playoff games past where it's like buddy it's it's time to time to turn it up yeah. hey turn the lights on time to party uh let's i guess you turn the lights off it's time to party but you know you know what i mean turn the lights on it's time to go to work there uh, we we'll go, go, with we'll go with that. <laughs> uh today's been a show of tortured analogies one of them didn't make the show if you made it this far you get to know that but you don't get to know what it is because we cut it uh all right that's the show uh Wherever you're listening right now, we appreciate it. Uh, Subscribe right there if you are not already. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, make sure you check us out this weekend. Countdown to kickoff gets you set for Sunday Night Football at 6 p.m. coming up on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. And we'll see you guys. I'll see you on the radio for The Hoffman Show, and then we'll see you guys for the live show, 7 o'clock Thursday night for Take Command. And then if you are like, that's cool and all, but I just want to listen to it as podcast then it'll be in your feeds as usual on Friday, uh, right there in uh, first thing Friday morning. So make sure you subscribe. It'll be right there. And we'll see you then. For Logan, I'm Craig. This is me. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. uh, Because obviously, if you're listening there, our our podcast is available and and then you can subscribe there and then you can have it
1: Anytime we put out a new episode. Anytime you want it. And it helps us out, guys. Help us out. Help us help you.
2: If you don't want to do it for your own listening good, uh, do it for us. Be altruistic or whatever that version is. I like that. Yeah, uh,
1: that's a good word.